Good evening. It is good to see everyone. I wish the circumstances were better, but I'm reminded there's a Church of Christ over in England outside of Tottlebank. And the interesting thing about this congregation was that during the persecutions of the, oh, well, 11, 1200s, well before, well, actually at the start of and into the Reformation, the Church of England was trying to stamp out our brethren. And the interesting thing is that right behind the preacher was a trap door and a slide. If the authorities knocked and came in the front door, the preacher would jump down that slide and he'd go back out there and his horse was in the back of the building. <laughs> and I, the un unfortunate thing about that is that it didn't work all the time, but worked an awful lot. Those were harrowing experiences. Uh, but you know, even during those times, our brethren, they're willing to be burned at the stake. And some were, because they were handing out God's word. Tyndall's translation, by the way, was first financed by our brethren, an interesting fact. And they, uh, that's why the Church of England hated them. They were passing out God's word in something they could understand. Isn't that interesting? So I guess the lesson is keep on keeping on, brethren. I have some outlines that are in the back basket there. If, you, if you're interested, you should be able to follow along with me. At least my wife can follow me sometimes. I don't know how, how well that's going to do. Let me give you a short, brief overview of the prison work. Uh, 2020 is an interesting year, and I don't need to fill you in on that. You've lived it. Uh, it's good riddance. I hope 2021 is a lot better. And we're praying for everyone here, for Cheryl and his dear wife, and of course for Keith and Kathy and everyone else. There's some people still down at 10th and Rockford. They're having to deal with this and people all over the state. I have, we had some folks back in Pennsylvania that we've been praying for and they're doing a little bit better. This is an interesting bug. Somebody uh, shut China down as far as exporting stuff, you know. Don't send us any more bugs. So that's a problem. But we've, we've managed to keep going. I have three fellows right now waiting to be baptized. The question is, when will I get back into prison? If you ask me, I'll have to give you an honest answer. I just don't know. I think what they're going to do, they're going to wait until they can get their volunteers vaccinated and then uh, let them back in. I think that's the key thing. They're concerned about people coming into the facility and spreading because they've had a lot of problems with the virus in most of the facilities I know of. So keep praying for them. At the beginning of 2020, the first two months, we baptized six guys. I thought that was great. I, I was thinking, wow, this is going to be a banner year for the prison program. Well, we had to close down the middle of March. For the first six weeks that we were shut down, I was able to bring two more facilities online. When I go back in, and I think if you've been reading the newsletter, I think you know that uh, at Jackie Brandon on Monday afternoons and then Sunday afternoons at 2 o'clock, I'll have a worship service over in Holdenville, Holdenville at Davis Correctional Center. So those are on board to get started when everything gets started. Uh, I, I stayed busy during the summer. A dear friend of mine, Paul Cantrell, hails from around, well, not basically green country. He is over in Arkansas, but he was a fine Bible teacher, and he worked with the college programs in Roland, Missouri, and then down in Texas, around the Austin area. And what happened was that he, he, over the years, accumulated a whole plethora, well, really a bunch of Bible lessons 
side to side, I would transcribe them in a, in a format that would be a lot easier for the guys. And what I usually do, I do it like I did this thing right here. I, it's four pages on a saddle fold, and it fits in your Bible, and it, uh, three, three of the pages are lessons, and one page is questions and answers type of thing. And uh, I was able to do a lot with that. Matter of fact, 587, I counted just the other day. Now I thought, man, this is great, I got it all done. And then I, I tried loading it, I, I transferred it from one file format to Microsoft Word, and come to find out the version of Microsoft Word that I did have, the latest one, did not like the old, earlier version. I know what Microsoft does, you know. Somebody, I, I think they have a bug. <laughs> but I had, to, I had to go back, it was just cut and paste, so that took me a couple weeks to do that, and then I've gotten other things done. Lynn and I are both registered. You have to have, you have to go through an orientation period every two years to get an ID badge to go in there. We've both done that. We're just waiting on ID badges, but I don't think they're in any hurry to send it out because it's going to be a while before they open the prisons up. But we're doing that. I'm corresponding with the guys. And I appreciate your help with the prison program. It really is a joint effort. I'm, I'm grateful for your prayers and ask that you pray for me. Pray for the guys especially. They've had a real rough time. Matter of fact, uh, three times they've been locked down. And I'm trying to figure out how they do social distancing in there. When you have two men to a cell and the cell's no bigger, well, this podium area here is twice the area of a cell. So I, I don't know how they did social distancing. Maybe they hung one guy right up against the ceiling, the other guy was on the floor. I don't know. But everything looks great as far as starting the program over again. We just need to see when. So you pray for us and we'll pray for you on that. I wanted to bring something tonight of a very practical nature. And that is on contentment. Maybe a better word for that would be satisfaction. I remember back, back in my younger days, some lanky little guy from England, well, he wasn't a little guy, he was pretty tall, but he is screaming out something about he don't get no satisfaction. Uh, I had an English teacher in college that, that freaked out over that double negative, right? <laughs> don't get no satisfaction. Again, he. She was saying, do not repeat that, but everybody's singing that thing. That's exactly the opposite of what we're talking about tonight, contentment. Why, why am I preaching on contentment? Let me tell you something, okay? I struggle with what we're all going through right now. Deep inside, it's like there's a lot of things that our sense of rightness this sense of justice that goes along with trying to be a person living for God, living a holy life. It just grinds at me. It's like, this wasn't right. I got news for you. In, in the absolute sense of righteousness and justice, we're going to have to wait a little bit for God to clear the table on that. But I can guarantee you one thing. In the meantime, there is not only hope for us. I keep telling my brethren the four key words in your Bible is it came to pass. And it will. It will. But what, we, what are we going to do in the meantime? Contentment. Contentment. Let me deal with this from an inductive Perspective. Inductive? Yeah, inductive Bible study. It's three steps. Number one, observation. What does it say? Well, let's go to the New Testament in the book of Philippians for a moment. You know the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I'll say rejoice. Let your forbearing, patient, or gentleness be known to all men. The Lord's at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. 
and the peace of God which surpasses all knowledge shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Things you've learned and received and heard and seen or saw in the New King James Version in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. What a beautiful thing. He's talking about peace here an awful lot, isn't he? Okay, be anxious for nothing. Right? The peace of God is going to pass all understanding. Will guard your hearts and minds through Christ. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me in verse 9, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, I could go for a little bit more peace right now. Too much excitement, too much chaos going on. But that's not where the letter ends. It goes on in verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Word flourishing just means the blossom. It's like, you know, what happens to the flowers in the spring. I always like the azaleas because they come out real quick. They're there. Okay? Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need. For I've learned in whatever state I am, it's talking about the state of life, not the state of Oklahoma or the state of Texas. I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Qualify that word. Back in the first century, it meant self-sufficient. But I want you to see something. Just stow that for a little bit because it's really not self-sufficient. It's talking about sufficiency. It's talking about you and I can say, look, I don't care what happens in my life. It's good enough for me if I'm doing it for God. Key. I know how to be abased. In other words, <laughs> and I know how to be, how to abound. Everywhere in all things I've learned both to be full and to hung, be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't think Paul could deadlift 800 pounds. I don't think he could jump tall buildings in a single bound like Superman could. I don't think he could do that. All things refer back to the life circumstance. He says, whatever circumstance I'm in, I'm satisfied with that because if I'm in it for God... God will take care of me. That's one of the key passages. Another key passage is found in 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter. Context for this is Paul's talking about false teachers in the church. And he's talking about somebody that's going to come on and try to sell you this bit about the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that godliness is a means of great gain. He deals with that in the very first verse. Now, godliness with contentment. Same word we talked about there in Philippians 4 is great gain. Why is it? For we brought nothing into this world. And certainly we cannot carry anything out. Having food and clothing with these, we shall be what? Content. He's talking about there. Isn't that interesting? Okay. Second Corinthians, the ninth chapter. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency. A little bit different word here. It's actually the root for the other word. 
but it's talking about you, he had enough. Always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. All, every, all, abundance. What is he saying? Is God enough? God doesn't have to pay all my bills for me to know that God is enough. We need to understand that and appreciate that. That's what he's trying to get across here. And of course, in Luke 3.14, likewise the soldiers asked him, saying, and what shall we do? Again, different classes of people were coming to Jesus. And of course, John's message, which needs to be our message, is repent. God's kingdom's coming. So they say, what do we need to do? So he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be what? Content or pleased with your wages. A lot of people say, oh, the Greek of the first century was so descriptive. It's like, I give you a couple words here. You know what the word for wages is? Relish maker. What? Well, see, the only fare that, or the only food that soldiers had was uh, a real coarse cornmeal cake. And they figured, boy, need something to make that thing taste a little bit better. Say, they, they loved relish. I know people around here like chow chow, right? Believe it or not, they had that back in Pennsylvania, love that stuff. Now, you would think Pennsylvania would be a lot milder than down here. People like hot stuff down here. They had stuff out there that they'd curl your eyelashes. <laughs> in other words, they, they made relish? No, they, they were making enough money so they had a little bit to spice up their food with. You're not talking about making six grand a year? No, they're not talking about 600 grand a year. Hey, if you got enough to spice things up a little bit, that's enough. Isn't that interesting? Be content with that. The final one we see is in Hebrews 13, verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. But he gives the reason for this. For he himself has said, I will never, double negative there, never, ever, never, ever forsake you. I will never ever forsake you, I will never ever leave you. And you think Mick Jagger was bad with double negatives. <laughs> well this is allowed back then. Matter of fact the quote and the New Testament quote of that, all, all double negatives there. What does he say? God's not going to leave us high and dry. Do you believe that? I'm here for this reason tonight, brethren. This is the reason why I go into prison. I realize, hey, these guys made big boo-boos in their life. They need to, they need to pay the price and, and serve the time, and, and they need to try to be model citizens. No, they need to be model Christians while they're in there. That's what we try to teach them to do. You pray for me on that, because that's, that's our whole mission. We're supposed to be lights. We're supposed to be leaven. We're supposed to be living letters. We're supposed to be the soul of the earth. No secret who we are. We should be standing out because we're standing up for the Lord. These are the keys. But you need to have this contentment. People don't want to follow a grouch. You ever watch Sesame Street? And those of you that had kids had to watch Sesame Street. I finally figured out after a year or two of them watching it what Abkadefki Jekyll Monaco Stewart's is. 
I'm still trying to figure out how to do that in Greek or Hebrew, but I can't do it. <laughs> Man, alive. They did all this stuff. And you remember Oscar the Grouch. Now, now, now people sort of dealt with him. But I'm telling you something. Somebody that lives in a garbage can, probably not smelling the best in the world. And somebody with his type of demeanor, you know, you, even when he has a bad day, it's a horrible day. And when he has a good day, you can't tell that from the bad day. Brethren, there it is, contentment. But in Hebrews 13, verse 5, the contrast is between contentment and covetousness. The word there means not loving or liking stuff. Okay? Matter of fact, the word for stuff there is is the same as the word for marketplace. Or Kmart. Kmart. No, Kmart's going out of business. Let's try Walmart, right? Or you may like going to Kohl's or something like that. Don't like Walmart. Well, what is he trying to say there? He's saying, look, okay, you can use stuff, but don't get occupied in loving it. I used to say, especially when we talked about 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter, if you use things, it's easy to love people. But if you love things, you wind up using people. You know, the older I get, the more that seems obvious. So the answer is what? You love people, you don't love things. You use things. You don't use people. This is what it's trying to say there. So I guess the question is, what is contentment? Let me give you the official, well, I came up with the definition. If you think it's wrong, correct me on this, okay? It is a internal state of being satisfied or pleased. Matter of fact, the term that you talk about for contentment in the Old Testament actually means pleased with one state of being that is not dependent on externals. What are we talking about here? We're talking about something that's not primarily based on externals because when it's based on externals, envy, anxiety, ambition always come up. That's what Paul's talking about. In whatever state I'm in, I have learned, hold for a second, the word learned, there's two words for learned in there. Uh, one further back there around verse 10 is the same word for disciple, by the way, or to be a disciple. It means you're a learner. So it's talking about this progression. You're always learning, always learning, always learning. The word for learned here means to learn by experience. Brethren, you don't sit here and decide, I'm going to be content today. No, you go out in the world, and you have good days and bad days, but guess what? On the good days, you give honor and glory to God. On the bad days, guess what you do? You give honor and glory to God. Because you realize it's not about circumstances. It's about Christ. There's your C word, not circumstance, but Christ. We're living for God. You know, if we don't do that, we're going to have a problem, aren't we? Rather, it's not how much we have, it's how much we appreciate and enjoy the things that God has given us. Remember the old song, the best things in life are free? Well, that should be the best thing in, things in life you cannot put a price tag on. So enjoy them immensely. This is what we need to do. Well... Let me give you a warning on this. Contentment doesn't mean, well, I, I, I just, I like things so much, I'm just going to park my life in neutral. Uh, do not drive that way, by the way. You're in big trouble. <laughs> you go cruising up 69. Hey, you know, it's such a nice day, I'll just put it in neutral. And you're coasting there, all of a sudden, bam, 
Somebody nails you in the rear end of your car, truck. What happened there? <laughs> hey, oh, you're supposed to be driving on, not coasting. You don't coast through life. There's a good example of it in Luke, this 12th chapter. Fella came and said, hey, I want you to probate my will. Well, not exactly. Hey, I have an inheritance. Let's get this thing squared away. And Jesus said, whoa, whoa, who made you? Who made you? No, who made me a judge? He tells this parable. Okay. Grounded a certain rich man, yielded plentifully bumper crop. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he continues there in Luke, the 12th chapter, I think round up verse 17, 18. So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns, build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Put that thing in neutral. This is great. God had another plan, didn't he? What did he say? Full this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will these things be which you would provide it? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I gave you one contrast. You need to love people and use money or things, not love money and things because you're going to use people. Here's the other contrast. You cannot be rich toward God and try to be rich in the things of this life. Can't do it. What did Jesus say about serving God and mammon? He says nobody can do it. If God said that's true, well, then why in the world do so many people try the other course? Well, I'll make everything, you know? No. My Bible says we need to be content with what? Well, in Luke 3, 14, the guys made relish, didn't they? No, <laughs> they were content with their wages. Food and clothing, talked about that in 1 Timothy 6, 8. Circumstances, Paul talked about that in Philippians 4, 11. See, we need to know what's essential. Turn to the first chapter in, in Psalms, Psalm 1. First three verses. Number one, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of, of the scornful. Matter of fact, Doug had a great lesson on this. What David's trying to say there, not just the young people, but the not-so-young people, to really understand what it means to live a content life, to live for God, to do his will, you have to have no power. Not K-N-O-W, but N-O power. When you say yes to God, you got to say no to other stuff, don't you? That's right. What we need to do, we need to, number one, understand what our relationship is between us and the world. There in John, the 17th chapter, around about verse 13 through 16, Jesus told his, in praying to the Father, he talked about his disciples that they were in the world, but not of the world. Be careful with those prepositions, right? In the world, but not of the world. And of course, Doug went to 1 John 2, which every good preacher needs to here. Love not the world, neither the things of the world. And talk about what? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, boastful pride of life. And what did he conclude it with? that those things don't last. Why do you go, why would you spend that much time, that much effort after going after things that just don't last? 
okay? Understand what your relationship is with the world. Number two, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, verse two. And in his law, he meditates day and night. We're talking about meditation here. We're not talking about uh, Hindu and Buddhist religion. And just go, um, um, um. It's mindlessness. That's what they're trying to do. No, meditate means to think deeply upon. You don't have to go, um, um, um. You have to read, read, read. Think, think, think. Then apply, apply, apply. That's the key. Well, what does it say? If somebody is trying to do what's right and they understand the relationship between God and the world that they live in, what does that mean? His delight, in other words, what makes you happy is getting in this book and understanding what you need to do to honor and glorify God. Now, my question is to you tonight, and this, this hits home to me too, what is your delight? We need to saturate our souls with the word of God. Understand where you're at. Saturate your soul with the word of God. Thirdly, it says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. I need to understand this third point. Understand that God blesses you where you are and when he wants to bless you. Think about that. I've been doing a personal study on John the Baptist. I like to call him the baptizer because I don't want to give honor to another religious group that's not particularly being religious sometimes. He's a baptizer. What am I talking about here? John, he in his prophetic ministry, I mean, waited for about 30 years, did one year's worth of preaching, two years worth in jail, and in the end lost his head. Wow. I mean, he is so depressed, remember, in Matthew's account there. He sent his disciples to Jesus and said, are you the one? Or do we need to look for somebody else? He was pretty down, wasn't he? And yet what Jesus say about him, there's no one that's been born a woman greater than John the Baptist. But I didn't include everything in there because it talks about us here. There's no one born a woman greater than John the Baptist, but it says those that are least in the kingdom are greater than him. Doesn't that say something about us? What did he do? He understood in the end, I'm exactly where I needed to be. You know, you can't be satisfied if you're thinking the grass is greener on the other side of the hill. I know some guys that preach, oh, I'll be here for a couple years. I want to go to something bigger and better. I'm grateful you got Doug. He's a fine man. You're a good group. Of, you're a fine group of people. Stick together. I mean, Steve was here all these years. I'm grateful for him and Linda and all the great work they do and are doing. And for Doug and Karen, find their boxes and burn them. Okay, just do it. But don't do it while they're in the house. Okay, take them outside. Keep them. Hey, look. Grow where you are, brethren. That's the key. Well, that was the observation and the interpretation. What does it say? How do I apply it? You got to ask some questions. Number one is enough, enough. Well, remember that story of the, the rich fool there? Enough was never enough for him. Matter of fact, somebody came up. Do you remember the great industrialist Andrew Carnegie? When I was preaching up in Pennsylvania, every single library from about Harrisburg on over had his name on it. I mean, he is a great philanthropist, but the steel industry, he's the one that got the steel industry going in this country. 
he was worth billions and billions of dollars in comparison for our economy to what they had going back then. Somebody asked him, Mr. Carnegie, how much is enough money? You know what he said? You know, just a little bit more. Does any wonder the guy couldn't sleep at night? He, he was working on an ulcer. He had all sorts of digestive problems. He even offered doctors $15,000. You know how much that would have been on today's currency? You're talking about half a million dollars. He offered them a half a million dollars if, you could, if they could find a remedy that would give him one night's sleep. The guy was in that bad of shape. Wow. Enough is enough. Number two, if there is discontentment in my life, I need to ask the question, where in the world is that thing coming from? 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. The interesting word, there's two words for cares there. The first one, actually in, in the time before the New Testament was even written, that, was, that word was used as like a bird that has to flutter. I can't do that. I, I couldn't even go airborne. I keep telling the guys, you know, on that song, I'll fly away. I'm just asking for a couple heavy lift vehicles to get me back home. Okay? It's okay, I'll laugh at that, I don't know. But the thing about it is, you know, a little hummingbird, we've had, somebody must have a hummingbird feeder at our house where we're at up there in Claremore. Because every spring and, and into the summer, we got hummingbirds coming around there. And it's interesting to see there, those wings are going like crazy. You know, they have the highest, highest um, uh, pulse rate of any animal on earth. Man, alive. If you, if you had that pulse rate and that blood pressure rate, your doctor would have you in the emergency room stat. Cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. What's bugging you? You need to deal with that if you want to be content. Third question, am I developing a solid spiritual core or a foundation for my life? You remember the song, hold to his hand, to God's redeeming hand. You don't want to hear me sing, do you? <laughs> hold to his hand, to God's redeeming hand. What's the next phrase? Build your hopes on things eternal. Boy, we ought to listen to what we sing more often, shouldn't we? There's the key. Enough Is enough enough? Where's my problem coming from in this? And I, do I have a solid enough foundation that's going to see me through the storms of life? We need to have some cr critical values in this. See, contentment is a process. Remember I said that word there for learn means to learn by experience. That's what you need to do. Just determine tonight, I'm going to go out there and regardless of what happens tomorrow, I'm going to depend upon God. A lot of people can say, you know, what's going to happen on the 6th? God does. Think about that. Book of Revelation, storm clouds gathering. First chapter, vision of the resurrected Christ. But you know, John's warning them. First couple verses there. And then he talks to the seven churches. Starts at Ephesus and goes to, ooh, the Odyssea, right? You know what he's saying? He's saying, God will bless some of you, but you better be careful. If you need to repent, repent. But by all means, buckle your seatbelt and get ready. What happens in the fourth chapter? Oh, the, no, nothing. You see the vision of heaven. God's at the center of it all. Then the fifth chapter, the scroll, the book, bound within and without. The destiny of mankind. What's going to happen? Everybody's concerned about it. Nobody can open that book. Oh, the lion from the tribe of Judah can. So you're thinking, well, you know, it's just like C.S. Lewis. Here comes Aslan. Big old male lion, right? No, a lamb that was slain. 
open the book and the seals start opening. The progression happened. I think that book teaches that when things are rough down here, there's something going on up there. And we don't have to know what's going on up there to know that God will take care of what's going on down here. That's the key to contentment. So realize it's a process. Look around you. There are examples that abound in Scripture. Jesus in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verses 1 and 2, it says that he endured the cross, the shame, the degradation of that. Boy, there's some nasty words in there, isn't there? For the joy set before him. Well, that's not fair. He knew what was going to happen. Well, what about you? You know what's going to happen, don't you? Well, Joseph, remembered Genesis 50, verse 20? You meant it for evil. God meant it for what? Good. Hold it for a second. You're talking 15, 20 years in, in the pokey, okay? You're talking about falsely accused possible rape case. You're talking about the fact that even you're there, man, you were separated from your family. And your brothers, your brothers like you so much that most of them would have killed you. Maybe with the exception of Judah. He didn't have, whoa, hold it for a second. Joseph's living proof, as is Jesus, of Romans 8.28, for we know that God causes all things, not some things, all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. By the way, for emphasis, the last part of that verse comes first in the original. He's trying to say something. It's important to love God and, and to do what God wanted you to do in the beginning. That seals the deal. So we got Jesus, we got Joseph, David. On the back of that sheet there, or if you don't get a sheet, remember these two Psalms. Psalm 16, fairly decent sized Psalm. The other one's only three verses, Psalm 131. Both of them talk about contentment. Was David contented? Of course he was. That's why I'm referring you to that. What about Paul and Silas? What were they doing at midnight? By the way, prior to that, Paul got really upset with this woman that had a spirit of divination. And she's going, oh, the servant's the most high God. And he goes, oh, man, lady, would you give it a break? And then what he did, he cast the spirit out. Well, guess what? Her masters were making big time bucks off of the fortune telling business back there in Philippi. So what they do? They made a false trumped up charge and Paul and Silas, they not only got thrown in a prison, they got beaten with rods. Let me tell you something, okay? The Jews would, would do the lashes, but they couldn't do it over 40, so they'd do it 38, sometimes 39 usually. But rods? What would you rather do? Get whipped with a belt or have somebody come at you with a baseball bat? And here's Paul, here's Silas. They've been beaten pretty good. Matter of fact, they're probably lucky to be alive. And they're sitting there and they're in stocks. You know what they did to stocks then? The feet and then your hands were coupled right over your ankles. You're bent over. I can't do that, you know, I'm old. <laughs> Can you imagine all the welts that they had and then stretching everything there? Of course, they're sitting there praying and singing, nobody knows the trouble. No, they wouldn't sing that. They're honoring and praising God. And God said, hey, enough with this Roman prison stuff. Those guys, they want to lock my folks up, that's fine. But I'm the one that's got the key. Opened the doors, didn't he? Of course, by the time that morning sun broke you had a brand new family in christ all the good stories that are there these people demonstrated contentment well you find people that didn't cain well, you know what happened with cain and abel 
Solomon, and there's a list of scriptures. Hopefully you grab that sheet. If you take a look at the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon was fighting with this thing over and over. Some of the best advice about contentment is found in the book of Ecclesiastes. From the second chapter, verse 24, all the way to the ninth chapter, verse 7 through 9. Although in that list, there is an exception there because that's to show this conflict. In the sixth chapter, verses 7 through 9, remember Solomon's fighting with this stuff. And he gets down there. What about Ahab? Man, he, had, he was king over Israel. I don't know about his choice for wives. I mean, how many people call their daughters Jezebel? That doesn't happen, does it? And of course, the guy that lived next door, hey, that's a pretty nice place over there. Hey, you can sell me that? Can't sell you that. It's part of my inheritance. And it was. God tells me they weren't celebrating the Sabbath year of the year of Jubilee at that time. I guess not. You're in Israel. They're, they're celebrating idols all the time. So Ahab got all busted up over that. And guess what Jezebel decided to do? She had Naboth taken out. Gave, gave the vineyard to Ahab. Now he's all happy. The unfortunate thing is that God was not happy. Interesting, God didn't send the prophet to start nailing Ahab and Jezebel until after they started doing all this shenanigans. God will be patient with you a little bit, and then you, you get to knock on the door. We need to be ready, brethren, to live our lives. We need to consider the value of contentment. I know, yeah, I'll close her out because time is getting late. Think about this. This is on the sheet. There is a value to commitment, brethren. I want to encourage you on this. Number one, you will have less temptation if you're committed. Think about that. Most of these are from 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 11. Number two, you're more likely to avoid self-destruction. Anybody remember the, the comic strip Pogo? Okay. Do you get it out here? Sometimes certain areas don't get... It's about a, an alligator and his friends in Okie Swamp. That's in Georgia, by the way. <laughs> but there's a common phrase there. It says, we have met the enemy and we are it. You're less likely to avoid self-destruction. You'll be more focused on God. You'll find more time to have joyous pursuits. You're going to enjoy the things that you do because you realize, you know what? God put me here. I think I can be contented with that. Brother, we need to start growing with that because, boy, if we don't start doing that, let me tell you, circumstance and time and everything we're going through can, can act like carbolic acid on us. You know, carbolic acid won't... won't burn you up or anything like that. Well, matter of fact, you know, do experiments. No, don't do experiments. I remember one time I had a big hunkin' Diet Coke and I spilled it in the car and it got on the frame of the seat and I, I just didn't think much of wiping it off. I mean, Coke is Coke. You know what? I was cleaning out the car. I found out even though uh, that steel was coated a little bit, that Diet Coke rusted out some didn't rust through completely, but I had rust on the seat frame. I almost stopped drinking Diet Cokes because of that. It's like, if it can do that to the seat frame, what is it doing to my tummy? Well, carbolic acid won't kill you outright. You're okay if you drink it. Your system can handle that, but guess what? You get it in the wrong place and keep it there for a while, it's going to do some damage. A more joyous pursuit. Let me give you an example to close on this, okay? Back in 2011, 
a newspaper reporter looked up a man by the name of Ron Payne. Ron was living a, a very bucolic lifestyle. In other words, he is out there, he is, he is retired, kicking his feet up and out on his back porch and looking out over the high mesa of northern Nevada. And he wasn't a rich man. His pickup truck had a couple dents and things like that. No body work done to it. The tires still looked pretty good, but the engine had a little bit of sputter in it, especially when you floored it. Newspaper reporter. What in the world is a newspaper reporter wanting to go there and do a feature story on Ron Payne? Ron Payne was more than the eye meets. Ron Payne was involved in the computer industry back in the 1970s. And when everything started to blossom, Ron realized, hey, you know, this thing's growing so fast, I don't know if I want to get caught up in all this stuff. So he had a 10% share in this computer company and he sold it to the other two partners that he had. They're both named Steve. You might have heard of them. Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak. The reporter was there because he said, you got $2,300 for something. If you held on to it for the next 25 years, you would have had $35 billion. Wow. Twelve hundred, well, no, twenty-three hundred to thirty-five billion. That's a pretty. You know, what he said to the reporter. This tells me that guy had some contentment in his life. He said, "You know what? Back there in the '70s, I had to decide whether I could live my life and be content with what I had, or wind up being the richest man in the cemetery." I don't know about you, being the richest man in the cemetery will probably means that you weren't content. I got a question for you. You know what contentment is right now? You know what you need to do to get it. You just need to practice it every day and realize God's enough, that Christ is sufficient for us. The question is, are you living it? Because I'll tell you something, okay, being the richest person in the cemetery really means that you, you probably didn't cut it spiritually. I'm not against being wealthy, but what do you do with that money? What do you do with your life? But more importantly, what do you do with Christ? That's the whole key. That's why we talk about people by faith, repenting of their sins, confessing Christ as Lord, being baptized into Christ. Try and live that faithful life. If you're doing that, great. Be content. If not, why not? As we stand and sing.